Hello, everybody, and welcome to Teaching Writing in College. And the driving question is always, how can instructors in higher education leverage theory, science, pedagogy, and craft most effectively to help their learners with writing? And so I'm excited about today's episode, um, 15, Writing is Made of Genres and Genres are Made of Rocks, Part 1. Um, this is a motto that I like to have in my classes. I like to have students repeat this back to me. I call it our class motto. Writing is made of genres and genres are made of rocks. I actually have more than one class motto. There are a few that I keep repeating with students, but um, uh, I want to uh, do a few different episodes here around this. Uh, part one is going to be why genre is so important in teaching writing. It's a central concept, and I have this class motto here just to help students internalize it a bit. Part two, how I teach genre through rocks. Uh, I'll talk about that here in just a moment as well. Part three, how I came up with rocks as an acronym in the first place. And then part four, if I think of anything else to include, I will go ahead and uh, do so. But I'd like to go ahead and get started on this by maybe talking briefly about um, uh, why I think genre should be the, the central concept in most writing courses. That's part one. And that's, uh, to me, just, you know, it's about deciding what the curriculum should be. And it's about what's going to help students the most in terms of a, a writing course and learning transfer. And so uh, that's what this episode is about. It's about why I think genre should be the central concept in most writing courses. And uh, also, I'd like to introduce Rocks to you. Uh, it's my shorthand way of talking about genre with my students. And so I draw from uh, the likes of Mikhail Bakhtin, Carolyn Miller, Anis Bawarshi, and Joanne Reif. Um, all of those have been influential in the way that I think about genre and probably some other ones too, I'm sure. But uh, this is how I have it broken down for students. I came up with this idea of rocks, which stands for recurring occasion, content, structure, and style. And so the recurring occasion is the social situation that keeps happening that leads to the production of a given genre. Um, it's what genres are used for. You know, different kinds of writing, different genres are used in different situations to do different things. And so having students understand that, giving them a tool that they can use to analyze different kinds of writing on their own that way in contexts that they inhabit and we don't is an important step in transfer. And so that's what this is about. It's about being able to analyze different kinds of writing, learning how to do that in the classroom, of course, and then carrying that out into the real world into the other social spaces they inhabit. And so uh, one way I like to think of this, just uh, just a simple statement I think can help students along that path. Uh, you can see if you're uh, watching, but if you're listening, so I have in quotes and brackets, insert writers and audiences here, and then end bracket, use this genre to open bracket, insert activities here, end bracket, close quote. And so it's... um. You know, such and such audiences and such and such writers use this genre to do X, Y, or Z. And so, you know, an example there is just simply a grocery receipt, which I may have mentioned on the podcast before. It's one of my favorite examples because it's simple and everybody uses them. But uh, we keep buying groceries, and uh, that's a recurring occasion. Uh, grocery stores keep selling them. And uh, in that occasion, uh, there's a purpose for the receipt. It's to keep a record of the sale, which then could get used further by the writers, the grocery stores, or the audiences, the customers, 
uh, maybe if they want to return an item or uh, look at a, a store return policy or things like that. Those kinds of things are on receipts often. And so that's a genre that's used for certain activities in certain places. And the production of that genre and the particular artifacts of that genre, probably the millions or billions of them that we create every day, all come from, from that recurring occasion, that uh, uh, idea that we keep going to the store. Um, content is just the typical content for a given genre. Different genres have different content simply because they do different things for us. They have different purposes. Structure, there's typical structure uh, to a lot of genres. Uh, some are more open, some are more closed. Uh, so some, you know, uh, the writer has a lot of leeway and others, uh, the writers might not, might not have a lot of leeway. And then style, how the writing or the speaking sounds. I also like to remind my students that we don't only use genres in writing, but we use them also every day in a spoken way. And so lots of different types of genres or types of communication. That's what rocks is. And like I said, we'll get into um, another episode where I'll talk about how I use it in the classroom. But uh, for right now, I thought I would just give that background information because it's in the title of this episode. And so, um, to me, genre seems important for a variety of reasons here on this next slide. Um, one is uh, one of my earlier sources of inspiration for you know, teaching in terms of genre was the WPA outcome statement, where it recommends an exposure to a variety of genres, exposure to and practice with, I think, a variety of genres might be the way that they put it. And also, it has become an important threshold concept about writing in the field of writing studies. You know, if you look at... Uh, the book Critical Transitions by um, Chris Anson and Jesse Moore. It's edited by them. I think the very first chapter, uh, there are five uh, well-known authors here in the field of writing studies who articulate um, threshold concepts about writing, and a lot of them uh, have something to do with genre. and They uh, touch on genre as an important part of uh, writing. And so uh, just from that, I think it's important. There's also um, Naming What We Know, another book also about threshold concept and genre. Uh, it has a strong presence there. The idea of genre has a strong presence there too. Um, another earlier one for me, some textbooks had chapters on various genres of writing. Um, it seemed important for that reason. I've seen textbooks that have not, and uh, over time I've uh, opted for textbooks that do uh, include genre as an important consideration. Um, a writing course also can't cover all the genres that a learner might encounter. You know, we have these first-year writing courses, and I remember, you know, from my very first semester teaching back in 1999, promising my students that somehow uh, what we were learning would be helpful to them. And it uh, took me a while to kind of figure out what that might be or how that might help them and uh, how, what form that help might come in. But um, it does help fulfill that promise of first-year writing courses that... Uh, um, it's going to benefit students later, and one inevitable thing is that students are going to encounter other genres later, and they will need to learn to write in those genres. Uh, sometimes uh, in higher education, sometimes they may write things other than just essays, and at other times they might, as they get into their career, or even if they already have a job or things like that, um, they will deal with different genres because they'll simply be working in different contexts. And immediately coming to mind for me is just a, uh, an anecdote from a student I had, I think, last fall 
you know, we had been talking about writing is made of genres and genres are made of rocks. And there were a bunch of other skills and strategies that I uh, bring to the classroom to help students, you know, to kind of support their uh, movement between genres, uh, you know, like invention strategies and structural strategies, visual structure and uh, lots of other things, stylistic strategies. And um, I had a student who said, you know, at my work, she worked at a restaurant. I helped my uh, employer, my boss, uh, revise our menu so that certain kinds of things stood out more, so that there was certain emphasis on different things. And one of them was fish. They were having trouble selling fish, and the uh, restaurant owner wanted to do that. And she said, you know, when he... We changed it a little bit to, you know, just make fish a little bit more prominent on the menu. It started to sell better, and my employer was very happy about that. And so that was just something a student shared with me. And, uh, you know, there's no way I could have anticipated that as a as an instructor. And there are so many different genres out there that students might work with. We never know what they're going to do. And so having a bit of conceptual knowledge, to go back to the Elon statement on writing transfer, conceptual knowledge about genre is really important for students to have so that they can then take that knowledge and adapt it to meet their needs in a given context. And so um, rocks is just a handy way to help them carry genre out of the classroom. Um, here's another example. I don't know where this came from. I, I uh, looked on the document. I've got a screenshot of it here, but I also like to go and find out what my students' majors are. So I will have them create name tags and they put their name on there. I ask them to write their major and their anticipated career on there. And um, I get a lot of computer science majors sometimes. And so then I go out on the internet and I ask myself, you know, what do computer scientists write? People who are involved in computer science in some way, whether it's IT or if they're coding or, or uh, if they're into, um, you know, cybersecurity whatever it is they plan on doing, what kinds of things would they write? And there's a program out there at a university, and I'm sorry to say if I can find it, I'll bring it next time. I looked through this document, and I had a hard time figuring out where I got it from. But I went out on the Internet, and I found uh, a document that had this table in it. It's a program in computer science. It uh, kind of outlines all the courses. As you can see, if you're watching along the top there, um, it uh, gives all of the courses that they would take in this program, and then it provides a list down the left-hand side of different kinds of writing that these computer science majors would do that are anticipated by the computer science department at this university. And so uh, they uh, have summaries. Uh, they have pre and post. I'm not quite sure what that is. Invariants. Readme. A lot of us might be familiar with Readme's if you have ever worked with um, software. User's guide, functional specs, detailed specs, proofs, research paper, thesis. And so all of those, you know, and then it's got a bunch of X marks uh, where different courses in the program have one of these genres as an element. And there are some where there are lots, like a bunch of the courses have summaries in them. A bunch of them have this pre and post thing, which I need to find more out about. Um, Invariance, uh, the first four courses have some of that. Readme's, uh, a lot of courses have that all the way across. And user's guides, it looks like there are a couple of courses that have that, maybe with one under consideration. They have some courses that are off where they offer these genres, uh, some where 
Some professors offer the genre as part of the course, and then there are others under consideration. But the idea is that there's this wide range of genres, and uh, in this case, the computer science department wants its graduates to have some experience with all of those different genres. And so then that enables me to go out and do some more research, bring that into the classroom as an example. And it's good for my computer science majors, of course, and they would feel like, oh, here's something that I'm learning that's going to be a part of my future. But it's also good for students who are not computer science majors in my first-year writing courses simply because getting some variation is also a healthy thing to have when you're learning. So they might see how it works in computer science. But then eventually, you know, I know that I've got a lot of nurses, I've got social workers, I've got uh, people majoring in psychology and uh, lots of other majors, business, uh, what have you. And um, I try to bring in examples of things that they might see in the future based on what it is that they're doing. And so um, everybody gets something that speaks to them, but then also they uh, get to see how it works in other ways. And it just helps them become more dynamic, how they get to see how it works in other disciplines or other majors. So the other thing that I consider is, you know, what happens when we sw switch contexts? Um, we don't only switch audiences. Um, and I think it's a really important thing to do. You know, I, we uh, get a lot of uh, uh, assignments, I think, in writing courses about switching audiences. How would you convey that to this audience or how would you convey it to that audience or make sure that you um, write in a way that's going to be helpful for your audience. But then... Sometimes it's really hard in a writing course to figure out who the audience might be, and genre can help with that as well. But um, we often have to switch genres. It's not just audiences we switch. If we switch our writing, we are also switching genres a lot of the times when we are switching contexts. And so just an example here, uh, the medical field came to mind for me for this one. So um, I've got four audiences listed at the top here. I've got medical students. I've got patients, medical researchers, and the general public. And uh, in you know a, a, an example that has to do with medicine, um, it could be the same kind of information, but it's going to come through different genres to all of these different audiences. So over here on the left, I was able to find at issuu.com. It looks like it's a it's just a sample of a medical textbook, and uh, so I took a screenshot of it. Um, it's Memorix, I think, is the publisher of the textbook, and it's an anatomy textbook. But it's got, look at all of these different uh, uh, pictures of the heart, uh, emphasizing different things or showing. It's color-coded. It's got the heart from different angles going on there, and it's very complex. A lot of information about the heart just in that one page of text, and you can imagine how thick this book probably is. But uh, that is information that would get conveyed to medical students. And I could imagine doctors... Um, and maybe uh, other folks in healthcare professions might keep this on their shelf. I know that uh, my mother did. She was a nurse professionally, and I think she still has her textbooks from when she was in nursing school that uh, she would refer to from time to time. And you know what? I've gone to the vet. I've uh, seen veterinarians pull out their medical texts, you know, with, uh, you know, whatever it was that they were looking for just to show me. I had one actually kind of show me what the textbook was saying about my cat once. Um, so they would get used that way. Uh, but then education materials here, the next genre over for patients this time. This is a little uh, page from some discharge papers I got. I think I, I took my daughter in 
to have her ear looked at. She had an ear infection. And uh, when I left urgent care, they gave me this. And it's got a diagram of the ear, and it's got uh, some basic anatomy of the ear there. Nothing like a medical text would have, I'm sure. And then it uh, talks a little bit about the infections. And so this is very specifically for patients or parents of patients who have um, had, uh, you know, taken their kids in for ear infections. Uh, the next one, medical researchers. I have a screenshot of uh, one of the COVID studies that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. I've got just the first page of that up there. And it's uh, one of the studies where it talks about, you know, um, injecting about 22,000 um, subjects with a vaccine. So they got the treatment uh, with the, I think it was the Pfizer vaccine, if I can remember. It's too small for me to read here now. But then uh, then they had another 22,000 or so that got a placebo, and then they tracked their progress. You know, to, This was, I think, before the vaccine had been approved, and it might have been one of the pieces of research that helped it get approved, but it was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. So medical researchers would be looking at that, and the FDA probably, of course. And then another one, uh, me, uh, stuff about medicine or information about medicine, I should say, comes also to the general public sometimes in the form of just articles that are written about medical studies that have come out. And this happens to me all the time. I'm browsing my social media and something comes up uh, that's related to health because I look at that sometimes. But uh, here's one. This uh, turned out to be on Yahoo diet soda may spike your risk of these kinds of cancer new study finds and um, I thought oh that's a great thing to take into the classroom to show students but uh, this author here you can see his name there Zachary Mack and uh, that if you look really closely maybe you can see I can see it uh, published in on March 30th 2022 um, goes it uh, looks at us at the study and shares the details from the study and so it's medicine and uh, all of these different genres are for different audiences in different contexts. And so just kind of switching the pros doesn't really work when you're asking a student to switch genres or to switch uh, audiences um, or to write for a different audience. You have to consider the full genre uh, sometimes too. Uh, also, you know, in terms of uh, threshold concepts, you know, Meyer and Land, uh, this idea of threshold concepts I think is really important. Um, it's a threshold concept for writing, you know, like I said earlier uh, about the threshold concepts. And so just briefly about what threshold concepts are uh, for those who uh, might be curious. Uh, they are defined as portals, uh, linguistic portals, I guess, that help learners gain access to knowledge in communities of practice. So uh, one of the things that help makes a, a community of practice is language, that helps make, excuse me, a community of practice is language. And the threshold concepts help one's understanding of the knowledge in that community of practice. And so uh, threshold concepts are troublesome. They disrupt learners' usual ways of thinking. And, you know, I get students all the time, you know, I ask them at the beginning of the semester how to define writing for me. Um, they don't define writing in terms of genres. They don't say anything like that. They usually uh, say things that have to do with ideas coming from the writer or expressing emotions or uh, being able to provide evidence to prove a point. And uh, it usually it's things along those lines. Um, or, you know, a lot of times we think about writing in terms of grammar. That comes up pretty quickly. Uh, things like formatting, like APA or MLA format, can come up pretty quickly sometimes. 
But uh, those are some usual ways of thinking, but thinking about writing in terms of genre can be you know, disruptive to the previous way of thinking. Um, it's transformative. It changes learners' thinking and identity. I'll get more into that in just a moment. But uh, the idea is that um, it uh, uh, provides you know, a depth of understanding and gives people an opportunity to identify with writing in a way that maybe they hadn't before. You know, once they have some experience with different genres, um, like I said, we'll get into that one just a little bit. But integrative, it helps learners make connections across a wide body of knowledge. And so, you know, once uh, learners understand genre and how genre works, we can also provide them with lots of tools to do things like develop content or to structure writing or to think about style. And so uh, I like to, you know, start with genre that, you know, becomes the very first thing we talk about on the first day of class. Then we talk about it the whole way through. And as time goes on, I add strategies like for structure, for example, there are different strategies that can be adapted to help learners with structure. And so that's a crucial part of genres too, is uh, helping develop a structure that the reader can follow or that the reader expects. And lastly, um, threshold concepts are irreversible. So the changes in understanding become permanent. It's like they can't unsee it. And I, I would say that's probably true for me too, as I started to look into genre and I started to think about it more and more. Uh, that is now uh, the way that I think about writing, the way that I think about communication. And um, uh, it's uh, something that I think is uh, going to stick for the rest of my career. And uh, I'm getting these two really great uh, sources for those though on this screen also. I've got uh, Baskier and Simpson. Uh, there's an article called Reflecting on the Past, Reconstructing the Future faculty members threshold concepts for teaching writing in the disciplines. It's in a journal called Across the Disciplines, a journal of language learning and academic writing. And I just happened to read that for something else recently. And uh, it comes to mind for me with threshold concepts. It does a really good job with a, a really brief synopsis of threshold concepts and a little bit of background on them. Just really accessible, really easy uh, for those who want that. And then also we have Meyer and Land. Uh, this is They are kind of the... Uh, the names to follow in terms of threshold concepts. Uh, they came out and defined them carefully in a book and in a couple of articles too. I've got the book here. Uh, they're editors of a book called Overcoming Barriers to Student Understanding, Threshold Concepts and Troublesome Knowledge. I really like that book because it offers a bunch of examples from other disciplines. There are chapters from people in other disciplines talking about threshold concepts for those disciplines. And if uh, somebody from writing studies had written a chapter for that. I'm sure genre would have been a uh, threshold concept that they would have covered. But uh, those two uh, sources, if you're interested in threshold concepts, which I think is important, uh, those are two really good resources. But uh, threshold concepts are troublesome, transformative, integrative, and irreversible. And so I really like the integrative part because um, once a learner understands writing that way, uh, it, it kind of helps them see patterns. It helps them see a lot more uh, than they otherwise might. And so uh, that's an important part of expertise, really. It uh, helps you take writing knowledge and integrate it and see connections between lots of different things and so lots of different strategies. So really important, I think, genre as a threshold concept. And in cognitive psychology, just another, you know, once again, I'm losing track of what I'm doing in this podcast or in this episode, but... Uh, uh, the idea is to 
just sort of rehearse why I think genre is so important and why it should be a, a centerpiece in most writing courses. Um, but in cognitive psychology, the human brain tries to do exactly what it's told. It likes something concrete. Um, I was thinking of that from a book by Daniel T. Willingham called, um, uh, what's the name of it? I know it. It's uh, Why Don't Students Like School? Really accessible. He does a great job uh, with cognitive psychology and uh, talking about how that uh, relates to learning. And he provides you know resources as well. He gives a lot of uh, uh, samples of research and names some research that we can do for further reading. But um, part of the trick uh, that I remember from his book, I'm sorry I couldn't find the book or else I would have uh, quoted it directly, but uh, part of the trick for teachers is to get the mind to move back and forth between abstract representations and concrete applications. So genre really is an abstract representation of writing and how it works. And then a concrete application would be writing in a particular genre in a particular context. And so um, that uh, movement back and forth uh, can be really important for learners as well and uh, also can enable transfer. And so uh, the big question is, well, what happens when genres are a central part of a curriculum? Here's part that I was, or one thing that I was really interested in and I really was excited to read uh, recently. I finally had a chance to read it, but uh, there's Anne Ruggle, Ruggles Gears, uh, Developing Writers. It's a longitudinal study. She and her colleagues uh, published a book with several chapters in which they did some longitudinal studies on, on uh, writers. And uh, some of the findings are, uh, really important, I think, and I'm just going to move over to that book. I've got it pulled up here on my screen, um, and uh, what I'm focusing on here, and we'll show you the cover. Oops, where is it? I know that I can get to the cover. Why can't I get to it? Let's see. Oh, here we go. Right up there at the top. So Developing Writers in Higher Education, a Longitudinal Study, where Ann Ruggles Gear is the editor and then uh, a lot of her colleagues here uh, were involved in this study and they wrote different chapters with different uh, emphases. But um, they, uh, in section two, uh, genre awareness contributes to student writing development. So this is a finding from this longitudinal study that I think is really important. And the chapter that I wanna focus on is chapter three, Kinds of Writing, Student Conceptions of Academic and Creative Forms of Writing Development by Lizzie Hutton and Gail Gibson. And so one of their findings here is really important. And I'll, I'll share that in just a moment. But uh, the idea is that uh, a lot of students kind of saw themselves as academic writers, and a lot of them saw themselves as creative, more creative writers on the creative side. And uh, so uh, that was the finding that I wanted to look at. Um, just for the purposes of the podcast, you know, I was going to summarize this, but then I noticed also in the next chapter, chapter four, Ryan McCarty, uh, the author of chapter four here, who talks about uh, the complicating the relationship between disciplinary expertise and writing development. He does a really great job summarizing chapter three, and so I'm just going to uh, go to his summary. Uh, that's what I put in here. But both of those chapters, really important ones, um, along with the whole study uh, in uh, Anne Ruggles, Gears, um, Developing Writers. Really great uh, book to look at. Um, whoops, where's my presentation? There we go. 
So anyway, here's a screenshot of that. I thought, oh, this is exactly what I like to try to do with my writers if I can. So, and it also makes me think of transformative learning experiences. So to get back to, to threshold concepts and transformative learning, um, Hutton and Gibson recount that, this is uh, uh, Ryan McCarty just summarizing Hutton and Gibson in uh, the Ann Ruggles Gear text. Hutton and Gibson recount that only a few students appeared to embrace the possibility of a third approach. Once again, there's the two. There's the academic and creative uh, frames of mind when it comes to um, writing. And so they found a third approach. A few students appeared to embrace the possibility of a third approach to writing as a hybrid of these two conceptions. These were students who could, as Hutton and Gibson put it, negotiate between views of writing and their writerly growth as entailing both generative activity and adherence to communicative norms, which is kind of how they had that split in their minds. These students had creative, you know, had to do with generative and uh, adherence to norms. Communicative norms was more how the academic writers were thinking instead of viewing these approaches as requiring an either or choice. So one more time, negotiate, negotiate, uh, there, these were students who could negotiate between views of writing and their writerly growth as entailing both generative activity and adherence to communicative norms instead of viewing these approaches as requiring an either-or choice. In describing their experience of writing, these students looked to kinds of writing, neither as repetitive practice of narrowly framed forms nor as less structured generative strategies. Rather, they framed writing in more flexible terms as a set of understandings and abilities that could be easily transferred across various contexts and forms. In some sense, these students were able to look beyond the details of one piece of writing toward a more holistic and positive view of themselves as writers, so now they're identifying themselves as writers, and of the ways writing figured in their lives, and so they're able to apply it as well. As Hutton and Gibson note, the largest number of students who fell into this category were writing minors. And one explanation the authors offer is the minors' curricular emphasis on a wide range of genres, on reconceptualization of writing, and on considerable reflection, as described in Appendix 2. And so that, to me, was just a fantastic bit of news. You know, the idea that if we focus on a range of genres, uh, we could nudge students in this direction to help them identify as writers and then also uh, figuring ways to apply what they had learned into their lives. And so I'm just going to scoot back a little bit to the threshold concepts. Um, let's see, the transformative part of this, that uh, it changes learners' thinking and their identity. So the way they were thinking about writing was different. And also the, their identity was different, and that's an important part of a threshold concept. So uh, these students in the professional writing minor uh, really uh, tended to get those kinds of benefits. So I thought that was really neat. So And it kind of uh, uh, validated what I had been thinking about genre. You know, I used to just think of it, you know, it seems like the most important thing to bring into writing classes, maybe especially first-year writing classes as far as helping students transfer knowledge, but it also, um, I, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't know of any research out there to back that up necessarily at the time. And, uh, this study came along and just validated something I had been thinking. So I was really excited to see that. Let's see. Oh, another slide here, just transformative learning about uh, thinking like members of the community of writers in this case and identifying as writers. 
And so then uh, just uh, briefly, I think I'm about ready to wrap it up, but uh, what do I use rocks for? Recurring occasion, content, structure, and style. So I use it, one, to provide an accurate framework about writing. It disrupts students' thinking, and it can change the way that students see writing. So instead of thinking about writing as grammar or APA format or um, any number of things or just as something that comes from uh, its uh, individual expression, um, it's more of an accurate framework that uh, can provide some knowledge about writing and help students make connections. Um, it also solves a teaching problem for me. In first-year courses especially, we can't cover all the genres or contexts or audiences a learner might encounter now or in the future, and so it can cast a, wide, a net across a wide body of knowledge and help them make some of those connections. And uh, the last one there, kind of to go along with the threshold concepts, to help students view writing dynamically and holistically while also helping them identify with writing like the writing minors in Hutton and Gibson study. And so uh, uh, that's what I use it for now um, as I think about it. And then how do I use rocks? I think I have an example here. Oh, yeah, I do have a few examples, which I'll elaborate on in uh, upcoming podcasts. But how do I use rocks in the classroom? I repeat the class motto with them a lot. Writing is made of genres, and genres are made of rocks. And I don't just say it. I have them repeat it back to me. And so it's something that they become very familiar with over the course of a semester. Um, I also analyze samples. Next thing on the slide, I also analyze samples of genres they are asked to write in for assignments, uh, which helps with the WPA outcome statement. Um, so um, in assignments in the courses that I teach, you know, we have uh, different genres that students will practice in, and so analyzing some of those samples is what I mean there. If they're going to write a review, then we have to read and analyze reviews, and we can use rocks to do that. Rocks kind of helps ground the analysis so that it has, uh, you know, things that they're actually looking for. What kind of content does this genre seem to typically have? What does its purpose seem to be? What's it used for? How is it structured? And so on. And they can, you know, across a range of examples, they can maybe come to some conclusions of that. There are some shortcomings to that, of course, which uh, we can also talk about later. But uh, another thing I do is uh, we... Oops, that's what I just said. We Oh, analyze. this isn't the same. Analyze various samples of genres I find and bring in based on their majors like I talked about before. I just uh, go out there and try to find different kinds of things that they might see themselves writing in the future, bring those in so we can analyze them and they can see how they work a little bit. And then, of course, practice with lots of genres. Um, I For here, this, I was inspired by Mike Palmquist's uh, Joining the Conversation, which is a textbook. And it... Uh, you know, he's, he spends a lot of time talking about lots of different genres, and some of them are, are small genres that you could bring into the classroom and work with, you know, with students for a half hour. Have them write a sample of something like, sometimes I'll have students write a, a sample dictionary entry or uh, other things like that, and just little ones that can be worked with, you know, in the space of a class period or a partial class period can be really helpful too. And then there's something to reflect on, you know, how did you feel as you were, adapting to this new genre, you know, something that students probably haven't written before, you know, what uh, did they have to do to uh, do that well, or how well do they think they did, or uh, things along those lines, just to get them thinking about genres and switching to different genres. So uh, those are some of the ways that I use rocks in the classroom. I use it quite a bit. But um, I guess that wraps up this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. I really do enjoy talking about genre and uh, 
you know, once again, I've got a few more podcast episodes coming up about this topic because I'd like to talk more about classroom use and, and so I'll provide some examples of some of the things that I've done and uh, so on and so forth. So we'll elaborate a little bit. I'm hoping for at least three episodes uh, around genre and uh, maybe more if I think of more to say at this point. But thanks so much again for listening or for watching. Please feel free to like and subscribe. I'm enjoying doing these podcasts and I wish I had time to do more of them. I'm trying to get them out as uh, as as time permits. And so I do appreciate my listeners. I hope it's beneficial to you and um, I will sign up for now. Thank you so much and happy teaching.